Any advice or opinions offered on this program are meant as general suggestions, not advice specific to an individual child. Any choices that you make regarding your own child are completely at your own discretion. This episode is brought to you by The Recharged Family. The Recharged Family is a service network that focuses on providing free content and resources for parents and educators so that they can better support the kids in their lives who may be struggling in some capacity. The Recharged Family provides a wide variety of multimedia content with their Exhausted Educators podcast, Parents Recharged podcast, and the Recharged Family YouTube channel. They also help individual families through their service-based Holding On To Learning LLC, where they'll meet with you virtually to answer any school-based or outside agency-based questions, or just to provide families with some guidance on the next steps to help their child. The good news is, if your family can't pay for this service, you don't pay anything. And even if you can afford it, it's only a donation-based service, so you choose the amount that you'd like to donate. To learn more about the Recharged Family Services or to support the Recharged Family mission, go to rechargedfamily.com or follow the Recharged Family on Instagram or Twitter at Recharged Family. Remember, you can do your part too in helping more families and educators get access to the Recharged Family information and resources by subscribing wherever you watch or listen to the Recharged Family content. Isn't it time to get the child in your life back on track with the support that they deserve? You can do that by going to rechargefamily.com. This is a Holding On To Learning LLC production. Hit it! The ideas expressed on this show are not the views of their employer. Besides, if you really want to take advice from this guy, well, you should probably do it at your own risk. You better turn right back around because here comes the short bob dude from the Parents Recharge Show. What is going on, fellow parents? Thank you for jumping in to the Parents Recharge Show. In this episode... We're going to dive into the IEP again as a second part. If you missed the last episode, we talked about how the IEP team goes through and gathers data, what kinds of things they're looking for, how they define the strengths of a child, how they find the areas of need for each kid, and then use that information to do what we're going to talk about today, which is develop goals and objectives and set a plan in place so that your child can be successful. So this is actually the fourth part of a series of different episodes that came about because someone provided some feedback and asked, hey, could you give me some information on these different things? So if you look back, we did an episode on tiered support, talking about the process of going through the tiers. Then we dove into a 504 and what a 504 is. And now the last episode in this episode, we're talking about IEPs and how to go about creating the IEP, and what your role is as a parent in the IEP team. I do want to remind you the difference between a 504 and an IEP. An IEP will give you specifics on instructional planning. The 504 will only give you supports and accommodations for a child. So that's the major difference. Usually, IEPs are much more extensive than a 504 plan. An IEP definitely has a lot more pieces to it and that's why we broke this into two episodes. Also, a quick review of something I hit on the last episode. It's important to remember IEPs are not the same. The I stands for individual, and it means that you're tailor-making that plan for the individual child. With that in mind, the level of need 
for an individual can vary greatly from one person to another. If they have an IEP, they've been identified with a disability, but it could be a basic level IEP or complex or even intensive. And as you get more and more level of need, that means usually the IEP becomes much more extensive. With higher level of needs, there's a higher level of supports and accommodations you put into a plan. And in many cases, there's more goals that are created. And that's where we're going to start off today, talking about goals. So in the last episode, it was all about gathering the data and figuring out what your child does well and also what are the areas of need that we need to focus on to gain improvement. So in general, we're now going to dive into how we address those needs. So once we have areas of need that we need to focus on, whether it be academic needs, behavior needs, social emotional needs, whatever the area of need is, now we develop goals for them. And the goal is going to try to be a little bit, not a little bit, a lot more specific than something like, hey, let's hope they get a B in a specific subject area. The example I used in the last episode was I said, instead of saying we want them to get a B in reading, we'd create a goal to dive much deeper than just reading. Maybe we'd create a reading decoding goal, which is like phonics, or we'd create a reading fluency goal, which is like the rate of reading, or we'd create a reading comprehension goal, which is the ability to understand what you're reading. So we're diving deeper, not just broad, let's get better at this, we're diving deeper. And because we're diving deeper, we're getting much more specific on how we're going to address the need. So you have a goal, maybe it's involved with math. But let's dive deeper and let's go with math calculations, math computation. And maybe your child needs to focus on being able to add with regrouping. So you set a specific goal in that area. Your goal is not just get a B in math. It's a specific skill that your child needs to work on. And once that's in play, and once the IEP team has decided on a goal, Now the idea is we're going to figure out what we can do in a classroom to help them to have more success. What are the instructional practices that need to happen? What are the supports and accommodations that need to happen? Maybe your child needs a hundred star, needs manipulatives. Maybe your child needs a number line to be able to add or subtract. Those kinds of things can be put into that specific plan to help support with that specific goal. Again, it's individualized, tailored towards your child. So you have academic goals. You have behavior goals. You can also have related service goals, which we talked about in the last episode. An occupational therapist is working, is a good example. They're working on uh, fine motor skills or gross motor skills. And they will go about setting a specific goal for your child on a skill that they need to work on and laying out how they will approach it, and laying out a plan that's going to help them have more success. Another area that I haven't touched on, and I think it's really important, is the idea of setting transition goals. Transition goals kick in when students move into middle school, especially when they're about 14. Some school districts will start transition goals or looking at transition services before this. The idea of transition is actually thinking about where is my child headed? Or in an IEP team, at this point, your child is included in the IEP team. Matter of fact, they're the most important component of the IEP team. You're getting their input on what are they interested in 
in life? What are some ideas of where they want to go in life? It doesn't necessarily mean that they're signing on the dotted line like, I want to be a plumber and that's where I'm headed and it's a done deal. That's not how it works. Instead, it's getting their input on what are they interested in and kind of setting the idea of where we need to go and how we're going to get there. So a transition goal is set more towards maybe looking at, are you going to college? Are you interested in going in the military? Do we just need to do more career exploration things and figure out what you're interested in? Do we need to set a goal for job skills or organizational or like what we would call executive functioning skills that you would need to be successful in life? Like setting an alarm clock so you make it up, make the work on time. Different goals can be tailor-made towards the individual student as far as transitioning them. And again, it can be transitioning to college. It can be transitioning to a job. It can be transitioning to independent living. Or it can be transitioning just to taking care of myself, depending on the level of need that the individual child has. The level of need for a student who's in a general education classroom is going to be far different than a child who has severe autism. They're going to have much more extensive needs laid out for them. Their transition goals might be different. It's really important when developing the transition goals, though, that your child knows that their input is super important. Super important. This is an opportunity for them to speak up and talk about what they want in their life, where they want to go with their lives. And yes, they're 14, they're 15, they're 17, They don't have everything laid out for them. They don't know the answers to everything yet. But this is the idea of getting them at an early age to start exploring opportunities and figuring it out over a course of a few years to get them to the the point where they're ready to transition to the next step when they exit high school. I will definitely do more on transitioning in an episode to come, but I do want you to know that might be new for you as your child gets a little bit older. It's not something that a lot of elementary schools are working on. But as they get older and they start to get transition goals, a lot of times school districts will work with outside organizations to help them advance their skills in a specific area. Job skills, for example. And I tell you that because those people who are part of those services, those transition services, will start to come to your IEP meetings. And the earlier that they're involved with your child's IEP process, the better off it will be for everybody because their input's going to be important too. And those services can be a wide variety of things. Everything from organizations that help your child to develop job skills to organizations that help them with transitioning to independent living, whatever it is, there are different organizations and there are a slew of them that will help them to transition to the next phase of the life. And schools will utilize those transitional services and those organizations to help your child. And so they're a big part of the IEP team once your child gets a little bit older. Now back to goals in general. So the IEP team is looking at your areas of need. We're establishing goals for each of those areas of need. Again, it's not going to be as basic as a history goal. It's going to be, we've got math and we want them to improve in math computation. We want them to improve in math problem solving. We've got reading. So can we improve in reading decoding? Or it could be behavior. So not it's not going to be just listed as behavior, like let's improve behavior. It's going to be more specific than that. Let's make sure that we're on task more often. Or let's make sure that we're establishing interpersonal 
personal relationship. Or with a higher level of need, it might be something as specific as using the restroom facilities in the correct way. The thing that I want you to know is this. You should have input on goals. When I say that, it's not like I want to make sure that my child has a goal for every part of their lives. What I'm saying is you should have some input on what you think your child needs to work on. That doesn't mean that whatever you want should definitely happen. It means that you're a part of the IEP team and you should be offering up some suggestions. However, the schools will use the data they've gathered to create, which just makes sense. So once we have our goals that are created, the next step is really looking at how we can help the student. Having a goal is one thing, but we need to dive deeper to figure out how they're going to succeed and how they're going to meet those goals. So now the team will talk about things like, what are the barriers? By barriers, I mean, what are, there, are there any obstacles that are getting in the way of them having success? For some students, maybe it will be they're easily distracted. So what can we do to accommodate or support that? For some students, it could be they're struggling with working memory, so they need things repeated for them. The goal is set for your individual child, and then the supports and how it's going to be addressed should really be tailored towards your child too. How are we going to teach this specific skill? What are the accommodations that we can provide so they're going to be more successful? It should all be laid out so it's a specific plan for your child to have success. The goals are super important and how the IEP team plans to address those goals so that the student can have more success. The last part of the IEP I want to talk about real quick has to do with placement. By placement, I mean where your child is placed specific to special education programming. And that can range from everywhere from a general education classroom all the way to a special school. So there's different levels of placement for a child. It's called the least restrictive environment, the LRE. Many students with IEPs are given services right in the general education classroom. It's what we would call an inclusive model of instruction, where they're included and we're just providing them the extra support that they need. There are also opportunities where you pull out a student for a partial portion of the day so they get a smaller group. There are also self-contained classrooms where a student is in a special education classroom all day. And as I said, there's also a specialized school. And it all depends on the level of need of your child. The important piece to remember is placement is an IEP team decision. And that means you get your input. And if the student is old enough, they can have their input too. That can be a challenging decision, trying to figure out where your child should be. For many of our students, it's in the general education classroom, but not 100% of the students are most successful there. Some students need more support, and so that's why we have different layers of support services, and more support can be provided depending on the level of need. And that topic kind of leads me into the takeaways and the first suggestion that I have for you. I mentioned in the last episode, developing an IEP is pretty extensive. It is time-consuming stuff that the person who's creating the IEP really spends time to dive deep on. That does not mean, however, that it's finalized. It means that because the IEP is extensive, many, many schools will develop it like a draft ahead of time and bring it to the IEP meeting. So when I mentioned in the last episode... If you've got things that you think need to be put into that IEP or you want to have your input on, it's always a good idea to share that with the school early. When I say early, I don't mean two days prior. 
I mean like a month or three weeks prior to the meeting, there's another piece to that. Because if you share some things with them early, they may be able to look at it and implement some of those pieces into the IEP. And then you can also do one other thing. Many school districts do this already. You can request a draft ahead of time, meaning that whoever's drafting it, maybe they can finish it before the meeting and then they can share it with you before the meeting. And what that will allow you to do is to kick back and soak it in. Really take a good look at it before the meeting so you have questions that you know you want answered even before you step into the meeting. Or you might be like, this is great, this is great, keep this in, keep this in. And then you might say, oh, I'd like to add this in there as a recommendation. You can share that at the meeting. The other reason why that's helpful to have a draft is you're looking at it now without all of the other participants who are in the room. An IEP team can be filled with people. And people who have great ideas, great things that can be added to the team as far as decision making, but it also means it can increase the level of stress during a meeting. It's tough to make decisions on your child with all those people sitting there staring at you. So my first major takeaway is before the meeting happens, get an idea of what it is that you'd like to have input on. And even if you don't have input prior to the meeting, maybe it's your first IP meeting, you can always request for a draft early and see if you can take a look at what the schools like would like to prepare ahead of time. Then as we move into the actual meeting, remember that draft is not finalized. It can be changed during the meeting and it should be changed during the meeting as other people provide input. Many times with a lot of different ideas, more great things come out during the meeting and we might need to add that in. The other thing I'm going to suggest is also during the meeting, don't just go through the motions A lot of times at an IEP meeting, because it can be so intimidating and stressful feeling, parents will just sit there and go through it and then sign, and they have a lot of questions they didn't get answers for. Feel free to ask questions. Your school should be willing to slow down and help you with whatever it is that you want to know. It's super important. Another thing to keep in mind is, as a parent, you can always ask to have things put in, taken out. But I also want to remember, I want you to remember the school's part of the IEP team too, right? So take their information in consideration, take the people who are providing related services, any transitional services, whoever makes up your IEP team, let's make sure that we're hearing everybody. And I say this kind of thing to educators all the time. It's important to listen to everybody at the table. Same thing goes for parents. A lot of times as parents, we have these ideas, and I'm speaking from experience here as far as like in my head, when I go to a meeting as a parent, I have some things that I want put into a plan. I sometimes need to pump the brakes and realize this isn't just about me. The school, they definitely need their input. Collectively, we're working on this plan together to benefit the kid. And so we all need to have some say on how the program should roll out. And the last thing I'll say is this. When you're in an IEP meeting, that's a really good opportunity for you to make some connections with people you might not normally be in contact with. Because a lot of times we have questions, we might go to a teacher. However, if there's a speech language pathologist there and you don't know how to contact them or you don't get an opportunity to ask them questions, that's a really good chance for you to make that connection. 
So feel free to provide any contact information with that person so that you open up a really good line of communication with them if you didn't have it already. Same goes for transition services or any related services or anyone who you might not have contact with on a regular basis. Maybe your child only goes to them once a, once a week or once every couple weeks. Maybe they meet with a counselor every couple weeks and you haven't had a chance to meet them yet. This is a good opportunity for you to make that connection with them and then open up that line of communication so that you can then circle back and talk with them later if need be. And circling back is something I keep talking about, whether it be a 504 meeting, whether it be a conference, any kind of meeting in general, but definitely with an IEP, if you circle back after the meeting and and just reconnect with people, you can say, hey, can you give me some input on how this is going? Is this part of the IEP working? And that leads to understanding that this document, although many school districts will do it annually, it can be revised. You will sign it if you're good with it. But that doesn't mean it's etched in stone and can't be changed. You can always go back and say, hey, I'm not sure this is working for us. Can we revise this part? Or can we add this in? Or can we take that away? And the same goes for the school. They may do that too. They may say, we don't really need this in there. It looks like Johnny doesn't need this extra level of support anymore. Let's take it out. Let's not wait until next year. Let's do it now. So it is an annual document. Many districts will will address it annually, at least. But it can be addressed many more times than that if need be. And it can certainly be changed and revised as the year goes on. So keep that in mind. It's really important. Circle back and check to see if there's anything that needs to be tweaked. And then from a parent's standpoint, just circling back respectfully Asking them how certain things are going is another way for you to let them know that you want to make sure that that plan is moving forward and that we're trying to figure out whether it is working or not. There is one more piece I want to share with you. It's about progress monitoring. Maybe I should have shared this in the previous episode with data. It's that you should be getting pretty frequent updates on how your child's doing on their specific objective. Many times you'll get it quarterly, like per marking period, but you should be getting updates on the progress on every single objective. And with that in mind, you can always call or email and try to get more specifics on how they're doing on the individual objective. So feel free to ask them, how are things going on Sally's time on task goal? Or how are things going with Elroy's writing objective? Again, it's well within your rights. You deserve to be updated and find out how things are going. Without those updates, the IEP team can't decide whether we need to to make any revisions or not. So that's an important piece of the process. So there you have it. The IEP in two parts. There is so much more we can dive into. We will save some more for other days to come. But I really wanted to, over the course of these last four episodes, give you some information about the tiered support process, what 504s are, what IEPs are, and give you some episodes that just give you some information about each of those pieces. Remember, if you've got individual questions about your child, feel free to contact me. My information is in the show notes as far as you can contact me on social media, on email. You can contact me through text message. And if you would like to set up a time for me to meet with you individually and maybe even bring your child in on it, I'm happy to do that. And we can talk about your individual child. And maybe there's some things that I can share with you, some resources I can provide for you to help you and your family. I'll finish on this. Remember, if your child's got an IEP, it's because they have an identified disability. But that doesn't mean that they don't have abilities. They do. Every kid has strengths. 
And when we look at an IEP, we address the need and then we address how we're going to go about creating more success for your child by giving more support, by giving more accommodations, and by providing specialized instruction. Thanks so much for listening today. Appreciate it. Hope you hang in there, parent. I know it's not easy, but remember, your kid's got some awesome strengths. And sometimes when we look at the IEP, we're looking at the areas they need to work on, but your amazing kid has amazing talents. Don't forget about that too. Have a great one. We'll talk to you again soon. Matter of fact, the only thing I do know is that most of the time I don't know. Dad, you're super cringy. Is your 9 or 10-year-old already starting to fill out their application for Harvard, Yale, or Oxford? Parenting is just flat-out messy sometimes. If you happen to like this stuff from the short bald dude, new episodes drop every other Thursday. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you think he's halfway decent, you can also rate and review. You can also send him some feedback too if you email him at rechurchcommunity at gmail.com. You can share ideas on future topics or just yell at him for his horrible sense of humor. We do it all the time. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. We'd like to give a shout out to Kevin McLeod for the use of his music. You can check out his information in the show notes below.